Well, kia ora, I'm Bernard Hickey and welcome to the Kaka's uh, Hoon of Gallery Wonks, where today we're with Thomas Goglin, uh out in the burbs of Wellington on a beautiful sunny day. Uh, wonderful to see you, Thomas, and especially after a week like this, which for you and me as monetary and fiscal policy geeks, uh, this, is, um, this is nirvana because Monday we had a massive infrastructure commission, Te Waihanga, forecast 30-year infrastructure strategy. Then we had Grant Robertson come out with a brand new set of fiscal rules and some juicy little details about the budget coming up on May 19. Then we had, on Wednesday, the Reserve Bank release its financial stability report with all the juiciness around the housing market and uh, what Adrian Orr is saying. Then on Thursday, he rocks up to a... Uh, Finance and Expenditure Select Committee, which I understand you were at. Or I was, was there, yeah. yeah. Um, and said some very interesting things and had a good old tete-a-tete with some uh, opposition and government MPs. Um, a week of action. Let's start off with Te Wahanga and the infrastructure strategy. 30 years of work needs to be done, says the infrastructure Commission and uh, the numbers are huge. Um, there's a deficit of 100 billion, then we've got to spend another 100 billion. Basically, <laughs> we're going to have to double the amount of money we spend on infrastructure to fill the hole, so to speak. That's assuming that we don't do anything fancy with congestion charges or uh, managing demand, as they uh, euphemistically call it. So, uh, come Monday afternoon, Tuesday, uh, Grant Robertson comes out and says, you know what, and, and to be fair, so did the Infrastructure Commission, we can't afford to build our way out of this. Uh, then what happens with this new fiscal rule? How do you think Grant Robertson has responded to this? Well, um, I mean, I guess like the, the Infrastructure Commission kind of gave him the answer that he was looking for, which is... Um, Look, uh, you need to spend $30 billion of, uh, a, a year, um, just under uh, uh, 10% of our GDP every year, to plug the infrastructure gap and to build what we need in the future. They kind of said, well, you can't, you know, you, you, even if you uh, could do that, um, New Zealand lacks the capacity, they think, to build that amount of infrastructure. Not much ambition um, there. Uh, I mean, yeah, 10%, was... 10% as an investment. <laughs> chunk of your economy. I mean, the, the Chinese would laugh at that. They're doing well, yeah. 30 40%. Well, Grant Robertson sort of tied it into the inflation stuff, right? There was an interesting, uh, you picked up on it, I think, as well. As, uh, so, so uh, yeah, Grant Robertson says, look, um, we can't afford, uh, we, we could probably, I think he said, we could probably not afford that. Um, uh, and even if we could afford that, we would struggle to deliver that. Uh, and then he announces the next day, uh, on Tuesday morning, that Actually, he has frozen the capital allowance. He hasn't added any, anything new into the capital allowance for budget 2022. So he, he got this report um, sledging New Zealand for not uh, doing enough on infrastructure. And the next day, he said, yep. We're not going to do much right do anything now. More. But it's interesting. I mean, you can understand. He's got a short-term problem, which is inflation. Yeah. And it's not just an economic problem now. It's a no, political it, problem. It's a political problem. And it's also like inflation and construction as well, which is, you know, it's, it's not just inflation. It's inflation in, in this very area. So you can understand why this year he sort of thought, well, right, we won't, we won't, we won't touch that this year. But there, there were some other, like, I think there were, there, were, there were recommendations in that report that were not 
given the earring they probably deserved. It was a bit like the emissions reduction plan when, when you have all, all these incredible recommendations coming out um, and the, only the sexy ones get picked up on. Stuff like, yeah, they did talk about congestion charging. They talked about water charging, which I think is part. It's funny, the three water stuff, right? Well, Everyone's we all, losing we know, them. We all know the deal, little secret of three waters, is that this is to get yeah, water, water charges <laughs> through without having to ask ratepayers. Or, or taxpayers, by the way. Um, yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's kind of incredible that the whole country's lost itself, lost its, lost its head over the co-governance part of three waters, when really what the, what the seriously politically ugly thing is that, is that, will, will be is that everyone, everyone outside of Auckland will um, get used to water charges, but they, you know, the Infrastructure Commission made the point. I mean, essentially, just to quickly sum up the, your question, the, the gist of the Infrastructure Commission report was that actually New Zealand starts needs to start get, getting better and making better use of what infrastructure we already have. We, we do poorly use roads. We, we, we have, in our big cities, we've got actually lots of really good um, roading infrastructure, particularly in Auckland. We need to start better managing demand on those Auckland roads so that we don't have to build more need to use more public transport to, to, so that you get more juice out of those roads and they, they applied that to um, so you know you use congestion charging to, to get better juice out of Auckland roads and then you, then you, you apply that logic to water pipes as well New Zealand has terrible water and water infrastructure so we need to start using water charging and they made the, they made the explicit point that the, the charges levied need to be close to the, the person who is who's the end user of the water so it can't just be a charge on councils. Um, who would pay the water the new water entities? It would it would have to be a charge on users because you, we users of water need to start thinking about how much we use and use less of it. And so the water charges will help us find leaks in the system because you'll we'll, we'll know whether we, you'll know exactly where the water is going in the system. But it will also encourage us to use less. Anyway, that's the gist See, of it. Yeah, no. I, and what struck me again, yet again, is that right from the start of this investigation and series of recommendations. The core assumption that's never challenged is, oh, well, we won't use the Crown's balance sheet because we don't do that. We haven't done it for 30 years. We don't believe that a government can do it. Um, we shouldn't be investing all this crazy money in concrete and steel. That's a Muldoon idea. And um, user pays and the whole neoliberal, um, uh, the state shouldn't be involved. We'll just make sure that individuals pay for what they use. Uh, am I being a bit sort of doctrinaire about it there, or uh, is, is or is this you know another one of these? Well, we'll never touch the balance sheet. It's always about user charges. I think, um, well, it, 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 the, the the commission did rec- well. One thing they did recommend is is um, it's consolidating a lot of uh, little infrastructure funding pots, um, and I, I'm not sure uh, how you could do that. Like, would you consolidate the land transport fund into the consolidate, you know, the crown kind of consolidated fund? Would would that work? Would you, you know, that these three waters entities are being designed so that they can each have their own balance sheets um, and then their own funding arrangements? Would you roll those into the core crown? Like that, that seems like something that would we would never do. Um, but I suppose you could um, you could do that. It was interesting actually the way that now we are calculating. Um, Net core, uh, the new core ground debt metric, the way that they, uh, the way that 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 we're going to be using, we're going to be rolling in all of these discrete funds into that metric. I wonder whether that will disincentivise the government from from borrowing on those, um, from borrowing um, through those entities, like Kyung Aura, for instance, can do its own borrowing. Again, there's, there's been this perennial debate about whether NZTA should be allowed to do its own borrowing. Um, now that you don't get the political um, whim of 
taking the debt off the balance sheet. You know, there's, you, there's, no, there's no political win by getting $7 billion of crying or borrowing off the core balance sheet. And it has real costs. As it you has reported real costs. a couple yeah. of years ago, Kyle yeah. Aura's, um, you know, non-core crown <laughs> debt, which is guaranteed by the crown and therefore really is crown core debt, uh, but costs an extra, yeah. how many basis points, 60 basis points, I think, something like this to um, to do. So we're talking um, $6 million or so for every billion dollars yeah, raised. So it's a waste you know. of money. Um, and when interest rates are going up as well, the servicing costs are going up. So you wonder with this, this new core crown debt metric, you think, well, you know, the, the government won't, as you say, won't, it, will, it will probably not use the, the mighty kind of fiscal power of its, of its balance sheet. Um, but it will probably it does it, there is a strong disincentive to to now um use those sort of tiny little funds to to get bal- borrowing off your balance sheet for political reasons so yeah i think we'll see that but on tuesday morning in a way he gave himself some uh, uh headroom fiscal headroom to actually address some of this infrastructure deficit stuff maybe not right now because we do have this slight inflation problem <laughs> but by creating this new higher debt ceiling which in effect is around about 30 percentage points of GDP higher mm. than the old 20% um, loved and hated uh, uh, d- debt <laughs> limit that um, we've known and loved and hated for 20 or 30 years. So there's an extra 30 percentage points of GDP there. And even after the COVID and GFC and Christchurch earthquakes uh, uh, spending, um, there's actually still, you know, a good 15 percentage points mm. of headspace in there for the government to use with the current situation with the debt track uh, to use. Uh, um, and he said in the news conference after the speech on Tuesday that, yeah, uh, you know, once things have settled down, we could use a bit of that to try and catch up a bit. But... Um, is that enough, though? The thirty percent is the new level, um, and and in effect, uh, Treasury was saying the thirty percent number, the new one, is actually the same as the uh, the old money's fifty percent. Yeah. So you've seen a thirty percentage point increase in your basic level, but could they have gone higher? Um, what? Well, yes, Treasury has put out a couple of papers now. The most recent one was the Carolee McLeish uh, um, speech earlier this year. And I think, and, and, and which is what this is based on. Um, and I think she, she mentioned 50 to 60 as their maximum, as a sort of comfortable um, uh, debt ceiling. And this is, I think, and, and she, her remarks were quite similar to remarks that were made by Gabriel McClough, the, the previous Treasury Secretary, a few years um, ago in a similar paper. And basically, how they calculated that was they sort of thought, you know, internationally, you're looking at 70, 80, 90% as your sort of maximum sort of um, uh, level of sustainable. Debt, crown debt, uh, and then you deduct a kind of a sort of twenty percentage points for an earthquake. <laughs> which, <laughs> which, like we're the only place in the, the world that has earthquakes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we don't get we don't have nuclear, you know, um, yeah. uh, weapons go off in our backyard. Like no, totally. Hope. So it's, that's kind of it's, it's sort of it, 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 it's it, it's funny how this this number, which um which which is probably one of the most important numbers in New Zealand life, is really just like an international number with an earthquake attached to it. <laughs> um, but but I think I think there are two things to, to what you're saying. Good mouth too, yeah, or in bovis. Yeah, true, in bovis. Well, yeah, and, and um, yeah, it's, it's funny. This this the, the the other significant disease that um, the virus the government's eradicated. Uh, the, the, there are two thing I think prongs to your question um, and your remark. 
one of them is like is whether it's sufficient and i think most people would say it's not sufficient to do what we need to do and there's another one which is whether it's sort of politically significant and i think obviously um given the the sort of um uh, knots that new zealanders have tied themselves in over public debt the last 30 years particularly the last 10 years um i think it is quite politically significant that grant robertson gave himself a huge amount of headroom um you know headroom that was like equivalent to the entire previous debt target right um and said look i think this is sensible i think the previous de- debt debate was reductive um the net said oh look you know we, we, we think the new metrics good we need it to be internationally comparable it's a very christian thing to say they thought they they did think it was slightly profligate they're not in favor of the, the the new debt target but they really didn't kick up that much of a stink about it I, they were I more worried think, about the deficit i mean to be fair we asked them some questions at the tuesday mid-morning uh, stand-ups before uh, their caucus meetings mm. at Parliament. But they'd only had a couple so they of had, hours they hadn't had a time to, to, it, to yeah. look at it. But there, there wasn't the visceral um, Stephen Joyce Bill English, you know, outrage. Yeah. Remember, Stephen <laughs> Joyce was going for, was it 10 to 15% back <laughs> yeah, in 2017? Yeah. And um, I was a bit surprised at how sanguine yeah, were they did not seem bothered thing. by it. And like, so ACT, ACT put out a press release. They, they, they did that thing where they, they calculated the, the dollar figure on it. And, and, and you know, it was, it was uh, obviously um, very uh, negative on that. And that is obviously where they, they, they come from politically. But, yeah, I mean, Nicola Willis spotted in the speech um, that, that the deficits, the, the, BFU, the BFU numbers, which are going to be published with the budget, have the deficit, uh, sorry, the... Um, the the books returning to surplus and public house surplus a year later than before the current yeah, surplus but, I mean, is, is that, 2.1 billion dollars is that in the government's doing or the economy oh, it's just the economy's doing, doing yeah, and yeah. she just and she sort of thought that was disappointing but then if the nets wouldn't say whether or not they'd raise taxes to this is really interesting cover this, it, this, so, this issue of the nets um saying oh we this amount of spending is crazy we wouldn't do that and then it's a bit like a Kabuki theatre, right? And the journalists ask, so what would you cut then? Yeah. And Grant Robertson's jumping around at the back saying, yeah, tell us what you'd cut. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And, and the National says, ah, we're not going to tell you what we'd cut because we're not in government, but we would cut something. Um, and so what is the operating allowance that you would use? Ah, oh, well... A few months ago, we were saying maybe it would be six billion, but now it's less than that. But how much less? Well, we're not telling you. Yeah, it's it's, it's all very sort of cagey and shadow fighty. I just think politically, they just need to be straight now because they're coming across as very disingenuous. They they do disagree with the six billion dollar operating allowance. They're lying this week, you know, and you can you you know they're lying because you hear it a million times. Um, is it's difficult to justify a six billion dollar operating allowance at the moment, um, and so you say, well, if it's difficult to justify it, then what would you would you have a, as a smaller operating allowance? And they say, we just think Grant Robertson should think about it, and you're like, well, you know, come on, you're, you're sort of saying it's difficult to justify. Is it really that much of a stretch to say we would deliver a smaller operating allowance? If I mean, they said the operating allowance should be four billion dollars, it would still be a bigger op- operating allowance than Grant Robertson has ever delivered in any of his yeah, subsequent yeah, budgets. Yeah. And then they'd have to justify what is the two billion they cut. Uh, now they might argue, oh, we wouldn't give two billion to um, EY's consultants who are doing all this work <laughs> DHB <laughs> reforms. Uh, that's probably a bit over the top. But um, it strikes me that uh, National is eighteen months away from being in government. You know, it, I, I know it's well before the election campaign yet, but at some point they're going to have to come up with some numbers and headcounts and actual budget lines that they're going to have to cut if they're going to stick with this 
line. Yeah. And it strikes me too that the Nets and Act have not really addressed the elephant in their room of Labor spent willy-nilly during COVID. We don't like the willy-nilly spending. Well, let's look at the bulk of that willy-nilly spending. It was $20 billion given to businesses for wage subsidies and uh, resurgence payments, which National and Act didn't oppose at the time and have never said... And in some cases argued for the government to go further. Yeah. So um, you're right, there's a disingenuous problem there, and it's it's more than just... um, well, we're not in government yet and we don't actually know what is being spent. Well, there's a reasonable, reasonably clear idea of what's there. And also what strikes me is that there's an element of, well, we're not going to go into the detail because people don't go into detail any, anymore when you've got a three-second news cycle and uh, most people are still trying to keep up with the latest COVID and Kardashian news to know what's going <laughs> on with the fiscal yeah. situation. There is an element of um, of small target uh, coast to power on the you know the unhappiness around particularly the fallout from um, the loss of the elimination struggle and now the inflation problems. Mm. It seems to me, I mean, it seems to me they're paving the way for that they're, they're creating a narrative around the six billion dollar allowance. Um, it seems pretty clear that on budget day. The government will announce what the six bill is going on. Um, a lot of it will be absorbed by the health reforms um, and 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 possibly like winding up the DHBs. This, that, that that will be costly. Um, so, so, but not an inflation sense. Remember, a lot of it's actually it's just just wiping previously. wiping the, wiping the, the deficits. deficits. He yeah. says in in air quotes, be, which that's money that's gone. You know, that's that's already in some surgeons. Yeah. Porsche dealership. <laughs> well, I, I remember then in twenty ten the, the election budget. They the, the the government just had to drop in nine hundred million dollars for um, DHBs just to, to to keep the lights on in DHBs. And you think, you know, at that point prior to COVID, the average um, you, you, your government budget was sort of like ninety billion dollars a year of total core ground spending. And and you know the government comes along uh, and and drops um, you know nine hundred million dollars, um, you know more than uh, well, about one percent of that um, just on on helping out DHBs with their cost overruns. Like it's yeah, I think the government will whether well, the six billion dollars a lot of it will be absorbed by things that that don't seem that sexy, which is probably what you want from a budget, particularly around the health reforms. There will be a lot of things. That, that don't actually look that sexy, and that, that I suppose that they'll be looking for those sort of um, those kind of budget lines to say, well, look, we wouldn't do the health reforms. We'd we would would cut that. We wouldn't do this. We wouldn't do this. We wouldn't do this. And therefore, we reckon you could get away with an operating allowance of three and a half billion dollars. Half of that is going on our one point seven billion dollar tax package, and the rest of it's going on increasing health spending, increasing education spending, and this and that. So, you know, I think they'll be able to they'll be able to find a Goldilocks kind of way of of tying up the story. On budget day, but they'll be waiting to see what Grant Robinson does before. Every politician is the master of magical thinking. We can have tax yeah. cuts, we can have <laughs> services, we can have low debt at the same time yeah. as you know fantastic education. Just moving on to this magical thinking uh, element, this week was the week in which Jacinda Ardern was really put under pressure on wealth taxes. 
she's been able to say since 2019 that she wouldn't do a capital gains tax in her political lifetime. And then there was a moment at the end of 2020 when, again, she was challenged on the wealth tax, particularly around the election where mm. the government ruled out a wealth tax or any other tax change other than the 39 cent tax threshold. And somewhere in there, in a stand-up, she accidentally on purpose said, oh, I wouldn't do a wealth tax in my time as Prime Minister, which we all sort of missed, I think. And then this week it's come back to haunt her because as soon as David Parker came out with his speech that mm. talked about trying to measure wealth and in brackets, unspoken, I'd quite like a wealth tax, but I'm just waiting to see whether my leader does. Uh, and we've got the election coming up. And of course, ACT and National said it's all a dastardly plan to bring in a wealth tax. Uh, and the PM was asked, as she always is, at the next set of uh, interviews before the cabinet meeting, um, so would you do a wealth tax? And she tried to dance on a head of a pin and eventually it looked quite painful in which she seemed <laughs> to say... It was excruciating. Oh, no. As someone who was in the room, it was excruciating. <laughs> so she started off saying, oh, nothing's changed. We're not talking about a wealth tax. Please move along now. <laughs> Anyone said, well, you rule out a capital gains tax for the end of time. Doesn't that mean you're going to rule out a wealth tax for the end of time? Oh, not really. And we had this press conference in which a good 10 or 15 minutes was, you know, the rule-out game played like crazy. It was the Olympics of the rule-out <laughs> game. It was, it was like high-level. But it, the issue, I, I mean, I think the, 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 the issue at that press conference is that she said, you know, she, I, I, I stand by everything I've said. I stand by all my statements. And the issue isn't the fact that she stands by all the statements. The fact is that her statements contradicted each <laughs> other. So you, you, you can't, she can't stand by all of her statements because the statements, the statements don't, don't stack up. The rule out. I think the, the rule out game. I think there's been, there's been a really constructive debate on the on the the rule out game um, in the wake of that. Um, and Henry Cook and stuff uh, wrote a good piece about it, which has gone gone around uh, quite uh, a lot. Um, I think the rule out game is really important in an MMP context, uh, which is why it often gets played in elections. Um, parties obviously go to uh, an election with a manifesto. If they implement the manifesto um, during that term of government, they have a good shot of being re-elected. Uh, and if they include lots of dodgy stuff that isn't in that manifesto during that term of government, then it, then they have a you know they'll, they'll often um, uh, get um, slated at the next election. Unless it's GST, um, of course. Unless it's GST, <laughs> well, exactly. You have to be you have to kind of make the political case for why it is okay to do something that you've told people that you wouldn't do. Um, and I think so. The, the rule out game is kind of a way of of bringing MMP politics realistically into an election campaign to say like, look. You know, you've got to govern with the Greens, probably. So here's their manifesto. Which bits of it are, which bits of it could you live with? Which bits of it could you could you not live with? And Adern in 2020 was quite clear that she couldn't live with the wealth tax that was on the Green manifesto at that time, and and ruled it out. And then I think she actually, I agree. I think she um she misspoke uh, when she said that she would rule it out for her political lifetime. Um, she, as, so as I think she hoped that we'd she'd slide it through this week. And after, yeah. um, I think you actually tweeted. I tweeted the it. Yeah, I had to send it to her office actually. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's what I said. Oh, yes. Yeah, I probably did, didn't I? I hadn't. And um, and then on the Tuesday in question time, she basically declared defeat and said, oh, "All right, then, no wealth tax in my time as yes, prime minister." Yes, it was by, the, by by Tuesday question time. It was very clear that the the, the, the nets put her on. They had questions on notice and hammered her to to, to stand by that particular statement. Because the slightly you know. ugly implication of the two 
uh, uh, statements hanging out there that were at odds with each other is the only way out of those two statements was to make was to was to essentially not be prime minister at the next election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what she what she had, and she said she will contest the next election. And people have often thought that around Grant Robertson succeeding her. Grant Robertson said that he has a difference of opinion on the prime minister on the on mm. the CGT. Um, and and they sort of um, you know they they have a public difference of opinion there. He thinks um, he thinks the CGT is possible, and uh, Ardern thinks that New Zealand has had the discussion around the CGT and does not want to have that discussion again. They lost the, 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 that that political fight. Grant Robertson uh, does not um, see eye to eye on that. So a uh, Grant Robertson leadership would be a place where you could see a CGT in New Zealand. But yeah, the, the wealth tax one was yeah. I mean it. it, it, it it was interesting. I think she had she had forgotten what she had said, but it only came up because Ryan Bridge asked on AM, and he sort of just wanted to clarify. Look, you know what? Are, what is this David Parker wealth research about? Because you have ruled out a CGT and you have ruled out a wealth tax, and she corrected him and said, "Yes, I have ruled out a CGT," but but implied that she had not ruled out a wealth tax. So had she not proactively gone out of her way to 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 correct Ryan Bridge, we wouldn't have had that discussion. But, and the lucky yeah. thing now is that every single stand-up and news conference is live-streamed to within an inch of its life, <laughs> stuck into an otter transcription engine, and cannot be escaped. No, yeah. You... Uh, which is good. Um, oh, that's the wealth tax. Fun times, and no doubt in the election campaign, whoever is the leader of the Labour Party will um, do something, and we'll have the same old debate we have yes. at every election, which is whether or not to tax the... Uh, the gains on uh, house prices. Oh, just on, like, on this, I actually like, you know, I think people think that this, this debate will be put to bed because the wealth tax is so politically unpalatable. I think where we we the current Labour government is, I think, quite effective. Um, it is it is uh, finding a way of exploiting, you know, what, what the right would call the politics of envy. You know, you, they're, they're, they were very successful in getting their $180,000, 39% tax rate over the line because that's a tax rate, you know... M- even if you're a successful upper middle class, you're unlikely to be earning that amount of money. It, it only taxes the top three percent of income earners in New Zealand now. And in 2021, but in when 2021. you've got 10% of wage growth, that will change over time. But but when when the last time National repealed the 39% tax rate, 12% of income earners were paying it. You know, it's four times more than they're paying it now. So I think that the labour's quite cleverly sort of it, it gets it, they target these taxes at. at at people uh, who will never vote for them, who very few people um, can sort of see themselves being. And, and that, when you look at this wealth research, they're looking at the top 1%, 0.1% of wealthy New Zealanders. And you can see the, the Labour taking this to, ele- to the election being and saying, look, you know, this, is, this isn't a, a tax that you need to even think about. We're going to be rinsing the rich. <laughs> It's not. It's not. Yeah. It's neither here nor there for you. And and David Parker's speech. What was interesting in that speech is that he talked about the efficacy of the political efficacy of the tax switch, and I think uh, that's what they'll be smarter about. Is is um is yeah. Uh, I mean, the irony is we're going to end up where we started, which was in 2010. The National Tax Working Group essentially recommended a land tax for income tax switch. Yeah. And John Key decided that the banks couldn't handle that truth, and. Uh, opted for a GST cut, or a GST for income tax uh, switch. And um, here's a wild card. If you were going to get into the tax switch game, one way would be to do a very low-rate, broad-based land tax swapping for a GST cut that gives you an inflation boost and effectively a... Um, 
uh, a tax switch which is better for the poor than yeah. the rich. Um, uh, well, imagine if you could take GST back down to 10% where it was when Roger Douglas first got it up, you know? Yeah. GST down to 10%, 5% in return for, um, what, probably 10%, uh, a massive tax on the on the super rich. Yeah. No, um, we should be policy analysts. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how much the Greens costed there. So they had a, they had a, they had a, a, the top 6% of wealthiest New Zealanders would be paying a wealth tax. And I think it was, they, and they, they had a, a, a return to the 39% rate as well. And I think they, they calculated that as about 5 or $6 billion a year in, in revenue. And I think GST brings in, what, $25 yeah. billion a year? Yeah, you'd need so 5 or $10 billion to be able to chop a chop and a half or a 5 percentage yeah. points off it. Uh, but certainly if you're really worried about inflation, that's one way to get it down. Um, just to finalise um, our fun session here in the sun... <laughs> The Reserve Bank, um, Palooza, uh, this week with financial stability report in which the Reserve Bank said a 30% fall on the housing market was feasible and the banking system could probably handle it. And then Grant, uh, then uh, Adrian Orr and uh, Christian Hawksby turned up at the, financial, the Finance and Expenditure Select Committee. Um, you were there in the room. Uh, I was watching a bit online and could see there was some tension and sparking around. How did uh, Adrian Orr do versus Chloe Swarbrick and, and uh, Nicola Willis and the rest? Yeah, uh, FUC is uh, it's, a, it's a good committee actually uh, and and, um, and Chloe and, um, and Nicola do the homework uh, in particular and, and, and are very good at having um, having <laughs> the, right, the right questions. So uh, there's been an ongoing debate over um, house prices uh, since Grant Robertson, what was it, the end of last year, uh, wrote to the Reserve Bank talking about what they could do around house prices and then, uh, then um, sorry, the end of, God, it was actually the end of 2020. 20, yeah. 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 Um, and, back in, uh, the, back uh, in the good old days when the um, average house price was under a million. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we had this interesting little, little uh, dance between... Uh, asking the Reserve Bank to consider affordability of housing or sustainability. Sustainable housing, yeah, and then all those emails went back and forth. And anyway, you know, in early in early twenty twenty one, they they started to, to have a have um, set monetary policy with an eye to um, sustainable house prices. And since that time, the Reserve Bank has really struggled to articulate what a sustainable house price is, which is great fodder for journalists. But when you've got a bank that's sort of targeting something that it can't define or refuses to define. In any meaningful way, that they finally flinched um, this week. It was like getting blood out of a stone, it, wasn't it? Yeah, so I, was was. The, I was at the news conference, and I specifically asked, "Could you tell us you tell what us? the difference between sustainability is and current house prices?" Because I'd quite like to know. Yeah, and they were going, oh, well, it's 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 currently house prices that are above the sustainable level. So, what is the sustainable level? Well, it's lower than the current house prices. And eventually, we got a number, or at least a range, out of Christian. Hall be between 5 and 20% below where house prices are mm. now and we're going to get some more research out of the Reserve Bank in a quote few months. Um, how did the the governors uh, handle that? Uh, yeah, well he pretended that it wasn't news at all um, which was quite unusual because it, it is news and we, we all know it's been news because we've, we, we wrote the news that 
uh, made it news. <laughs> but but Chloe Swarbrick said it was big news, and Adrian all sort of like looked at her and said, "No, it's not." Um, but it's just very it's very him. But but he is part of that group of uh, M HUD and Treasury and the Reserve Bank, which are going to publish more research on housing. Maybe uh, they've been looking the at the numbers internally so far so long they think everyone's seen it, but they haven't. They, they haven't. Yeah. So that, that I mean that was that was that was huge news. But he he sort of tried to to bury it, which I. I was, um, How come it wasn't on the front page of the Herald then? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was, but whatever. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so, so he he tried to, to to downplay that, but that was um, that was massive that they finally rolled over and gave us a number. Of course, I don't know if, if house prices fell twenty percent in Auckland, that'd still be what nine hundred thousand. Oh yeah, uh, February um, last year. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. not. I the would world not... doesn't end. In fact, our banking system could perfectly handle it, um, thanks to a few years profit. Well, maybe even six months profit. ANZ came out with a $1.1 billion profit for the six months, which is 0.6% of GDP from one yeah. company. Uh, so the banks can perfectly handle it. The question is whether the economy can handle it, whether it can handle the truth of uh, a negative wealth effect. We know from research bank research from 2017, so it's a bit old, that for every $1 extra of wealth that a household gets, they're inclined to spend three cents of it. But that on the other way around, uh, the damage is six cents. So um, 20% fall in house prices from here would have some wealth effect. But maybe that's what the Reserve Bank needs, a bit of an extra turbo boost to its um, tightening of monetary yeah. policy. Um, the other so, battle was inflation, of course. And anyway, Yeah, no, uh, good fun. Uh, thank you very much, Thomas. It's uh, lovely to um, shoot the breeze after monetary and fiscal policy palooza week uh, it's <laughs> been great fun and um, we'll be back again I'm Bernard Hickey for the uh, Hoon of Gallery Wonks on Friday May the 6th Kakita no. <laughs>